when we were first foster parents and Sonnet first came into our life and she was, you know, 13 months, uh, one, and our oldest would have been three and a bit. Uh, we had this encounter where Adley said, Adley's our oldest, she said, you know, this has been great, but can we give her back now? And, and we knew this might be the case. We were told this might happen where, you know, the honeymoon period is over and suddenly this other child now is playing with my toys and getting on my nerves and, and I want to give her back. And it, so we, we knew this might happen, but then several months later, we were at this, this indoor playground called Cannon Cove where they have like uh, hydraulic guns and ball pits and fun uh, climbing. There was this, uh, there was this boy in the, in Cannon Cove and he was being mean to Sonnet. And Adley came up to this boy and I could hear, I wasn't really in the immediate vicinity, but I could hear the conversation and Adley told him, uh, told him off. And she said, that's my sister. And it was this really proud moment. It, it represented a movement from, you know, from being separated and, and different in our family to more, more toward full inclusion in our family. So today we're looking at uh, this, this third uh, part of this series, The Disruptive Spirit, where the spirit comes along and disrupts a culture of exclusion. So if you remember... Um, a couple weeks ago, at the beginning of this series, we looked at the, the trajectory of God's widening relational love from one couple through to one family, through to one nation, through to Jesus, and then widening out with the spirit through to the whole world. That the, the story that we see in Acts is actually the, the Holy Spirit running into and, uh, and, and the first church running into uh, barriers of inclusion and the spirit huffing and puffing and blowing those down. When we talk about the religion of the day, we can look at the temple compound, the, the first, uh, the second temple, and see how it was constructed and how it was multi-layered and how many barriers existed socially and within the temple. We would have an outer wall keeping out those who were not ritually clean or those who were not able-bodied. Then we would have had a, a court of the Gentiles, which would have been for, you know, people who have a cultural religion, but were not ethnically Jewish. And they would have been welcomed into this court. And then the court of the women, this would have been the court for the Jewish women. And then the court of Israel for the Jewish men. And then the court of priests where only the priesthood could go. And then we would have had the porch and the holy place. And in that, there would have been a veil separating them in this inner sanctum that only the high priest could enter and only on specific certain occasions. And so we have this, these layers within it, which is kind of code for spaces of belonging. It, it really, this had two implications that one, God was accessed through the temple sacrificial system, that only through the sacrifice of blood and animals could people have access to God, but only through these relationships. Uh, that Depending on how far out you were, uh, that represented really how much distance there was between you and God. And the high priest would have been, would have had the most, uh, the closest relationship and so on and so forth out. Uh, the Jews that uh, would have been closer relationally to God than those who were maybe ritually unclean or had a disease or were not able-bodied. The second thing is that people had various layers of belonging then and were limited by these various factors in their ability to contribute to the community and also belong to the religious community. So if you remember back to uh, the, the story of Pentecost, we need to look at the incredible implications of the Pentecost event, that we need to remind ourselves that all these people we see in, in this first 
uh, in this first pouring out of the Spirit, the Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and so on and so forth. All these people were present and included in this act of pouring out the Holy Spirit. Something is happening here that's blurring or disrupting ethnic lines and, and moving toward ethnic inclusion. A little further on in Peter's sermon, where he's making sense of this incredible event, he points to the prophetic words of, of uh, the prophet Joel, who says, "In those, it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. And so here we see the, the widening trajectory of the kingdom of God, that all people will have access to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all kinds of people, made available to everyone. And then in the next verse, we see further detail given that it's not just a disruption of ethnic division, but also of gender division, that men and women will be recipients of this Holy Spirit. Later on in Acts 2, still in Peter's sermon, he gets up and begins to preach repentance and, and the ways in which people can turn to Jesus and experience forgiveness of their sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, that, that the promise that was for you and your children, Israel, is now for all who are far off and as many as God will call. So there's this wide open invitation now. And, and it's worth noting it is still an invitation, but there's still a choice involved, a choice to choose God. But the language here is proximity language. If we think about the temple compound, there would have been people who were far away uh, on the outskirts of community, from the, far away from the action. If you think about being at a concert, uh, like maybe behind a wall at a concert, and then there's like a pillar obstructing your view, and there's no microphones or speakers to make sure that you had access to what was being spoken or sung. And so any who were far away or far off, who would have been maybe not as close to the action, now have direct access to God through the Spirit. So we come back to this, these barriers that we see, and all these barriers start to get blown down one after the next. The movement in Acts shifts away from the temple throughout the story, away from Jerusalem throughout the story, toward the margins, toward the faraway places. It's not just this people are being invited to, this, to the location where the Jewish religion is still the thing, to the temple, where they still hold religious and cultural power, but God actually moves away from the center of power, moves away from the temple and into the margins. He moves into Samaria. He moves across Asia. He locates himself in the alleyways and the underpasses and neglected spaces. And God identifies with the hurt and the weary, the lost, and those who are far away. If we think about in terms of the way we do mission as churches, sometimes we, we have a come and see approach. We say, everybody's welcome here. Everybody's welcomed, but it's, it's again, kind of like inviting people to the center of power. We, we are still the ones inviting. We are still the ones holding the power. And instead, God flips that. He says, I'm going to go out to the places where uh, where." the hurt and the weary and the lost and those who are far away are not to the center of, of power, but away from the center of power. And we see that there's this pattern of disruption. All these barriers get blown down. In Ephesians 2, we are told that Jesus defeats the, div the divisive hostility that's between people, this polarization that exists in our fragmented communities, and he breaks down the wall, that Jesus is a wall breaker. And this may sound nice and it may sound easy, but we know this work is incredibly hard because we are a people of wall builders. Now, I'm a chicken farmer here in, uh, on my little patch of, of uh, farmland here, and we have uh, something like 60 chickens right now. 
And we had we had, you know, a, a dozen um, of one kind and we integrated eight of another kind. And when you integrate, there's a way that you have to do this, because if you just stick them all in a closed environment together, they will peck each other. And so we had some some uh, young chicks or young hens that we were integrating in. And one of the, the big bully hens went and, and pecked it to death. This is part of the pecking order. And that they don't do integration very well. So you have to find creative ways to integrate them. And so whether that's you actually build a partition in the in the um, immediate uh, a chain link fence or or a chicken wire fence so they can see each other through the fence and hear each other. But there's still some sort of division so they can be safe at night. And slowly you begin to dismantle the partition until they're all coexisting together and they all uh, have experience of being together. And I think humans do this, too. Humans don't know how to relate to each other in our difference, and, and there's, it's not an easy thing for us to be people of, of wall breakers, of, of inclusion. We are a people, people of wall builders because that gives us comfort and identity and, and a sense of belonging. We see the Spirit joins in this work in Ephesians 2, that, that there's this movement uh, from people who were strangers and foreigners and they're made into fellow citizens, they're made into co-heirs, they're made into family, equal members of the household of God, it says. It's a shift from, from my kids saying, can we give her back now, to that's my sister. And it often takes time and experience and it's working through the challenges of difference, it's asking questions, it's listening to stories, it's being curious, it's leaning in, it's eating each other's food. There's a, um, a restaurant in uh, Pittsburgh called Conflict Kitchen. And, um, and their story is that they only serve food from countries in which the United States is in conflict with or in war with. And so it, when, the, when there was a war in Iraq, they would have been serving Iraqi food. And, and the, the beautiful vision here is that, hey, these are people. These are people we are at war with. They are people that are different than us. And something about food and tasting their cuisine and eating that actually normalizes them and, and humanizes them and provides us with uh, maybe a check and balance to say, should we really be at war with them? And of course, this is an American story. But somehow these experiences soften our callousness and open us up to the beauty and the joys that difference actually makes us better. And then we end up with this wreckage. And amidst the wreckage and the rubble of a deconstructed partition, the broken wall, if we think back to uh, Germany, a broken wall still sort of in the middle, we might ask the question, well, what do we do with the rubble? What does God do with the debris? And I would suggest that God takes it and builds a table, a place of welcome, a space of belonging, where we can all join the feast of God's abundance the story at the end of the scriptural narrative in Revelation is a wedding feast where all are welcome. All the nations come and join in this and God sets the table. Eugene Peterson says this, Jesus brings us home. Jesus brings us together. Jesus breaks down hostility. Jesus recreates us as a unified humanity. Jesus reconciles all of us to God. Peace is complex and multi-layered.